Hello everyone, it's great that you can join us for another online service this Sunday. Last week Andy spoke about asking prayer from Matthew 6. Um, who do we ask? Why do we ask? What do we ask? And how do we ask? So that's the Lord's Prayer done, isn't it? Imagine you had a habit of going for a particular walk. And then one day you decide to do the walk in reverse and imagine that for the first time you see the image hidden in these fence railings. Your perspective has changed and suddenly you see things differently. Have we really done the Lord's Prayer? Hmm, I wonder. We're coming to the end of our mini-series on prayer. Over recent weeks we've considered how to P, pause, how to R, rejoice and how to A, ask. And today we consider how to why yield. The word yield is not one we use very often in our everyday lives, but it has a couple of connotations or meanings which can really help us in our understanding of prayer. So the first one means to, to bend or to flex. Bending and flexing is very important. This, uh, this branch above me here has got quite a lot of flex and bend in it, whereas this tree trunk hasn't. And then secondly, to yield can mean, in the US context at least, to give way or to give priority to a, uh, another driver on the road. And then thirdly, to yield can mean to surrender, like uh, the inhabitants of a castle might for example, if they were under siege and they knew that their situation was hopeless. I'm currently in Priory Park, looking at the site of what was Chichester Castle. In the early 13th century, it yielded, it surrendered to William Marshall, Earl of Pembroke. The monk and theologian Thomas Merton wrote, The deepest prayer at its nub is a perpetual surrender to God. So what I'd like to do today is think about four phrases in the Lord's Prayer. Now maybe, like me, you've prayed the Lord's Prayer on uh, a number of occasions. And what I want you to do today is particularly to think about the Lord's Prayer from the perspective of yielding. This is what I've been doing as I've been preparing my thoughts. and. Um, even though I'm very familiar with the Lord's Prayer, I've found some freshness in thinking about the Lord's Prayer from this perspective. So please join me as we think about four phrases in the Lord's Prayer from the perspective of yielding. Firstly then, the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this phrase, we are surrendering our belief that we know enough. When I've talked about this phrase in the past, I've said that to pray it is to pray that God's will be done perfectly, enthusiastically, quickly, obediently, just like I imagine the, that God's will is being done by the angels in heaven. All of that is true and all of that is important, but when we are praying this phrase from a perspective of yielding, we are acknowledging the fact that very often we don't know what God's will is in a specific situation. 
in his book How to Pray, Pete Gregg tells an amusing story of a disagreement that he was having with his wife Sammy over a, a very complex issue. And they discussed it, they disagreed about it, they read their Bibles, they prayed about it, they asked for prophetic insight, and they still couldn't come to an agreement. So Pete went to see this old friend of his called Ishmael. And after pouring out his heart to Ishmael for about half an hour, um, this man turned to Pete and said, Pete, me old son, you just need to keep your wife happy. Pete writes, I did what he said. I put Sammy's wishes first and realise now that it was absolutely the right thing to do. It was some of the simplest, sanest and most succinct advice I've ever received. The truth is that sometimes we just don't know what God's will is for a specific situation. We may ask for advice, we may read our Bibles, we may do all sorts of things like that. But at the end of the day, we acknowledge our dependence on God that we just don't know. We surrender our belief that we know enough and we come in prayer to God and we say, Lord, I don't know what you want for this specific situation, but I want to know what you want. Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And then give us today our daily bread. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are surrendering our belief that we don't have enough. Behind me is um, what used to be an amazing French restaurant. And Helen and I had the most incredible steak there on one occasion. Obviously, if you're a vegetarian at this point, you just need to imagine the most uh, mouth-watering vegetarian dish that you've ever had. There's a time and a place for these wonderful experiences. But in terms of our day-to-day -day need, Jesus invites us to pray for what we need, not for what we want. Not give us this day our daily steak, but give us this day our daily bread. In the Western world, we have a distorted view of need, don't we? When we say, I need, what we really mean is, I want. And when we say, I want, what we really mean is, there's a luxury that I can't quite afford yet. But Jesus knows what we really need. In the words immediately preceding the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And later on in chapter 6, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So if our heavenly father knows what we really need, then why do we need to ask him? I think it's because in asking, we are expressing our dependence on God. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are surrendering our belief that we don't have enough. And we are asking God to give us today what we need, not necessarily what we want. When we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Paul Roberts, in his book Turning Points, talks about his work with students at Oxford University. 
and he makes the point that the problem that students have with the Christian faith is not a problem to do with the intellect, it's a moral problem. They are offended by the idea that they are not good enough. They are offended by the idea that they may have to exchange some of their lifestyle choices for others. Some Christians are offended by this as well. Doesn't God accept me just as I am? Didn't the hymn writer write, just as I am without one plea? Well, yes, in one sense, God does accept us just as we are. We don't have to smarten ourselves up, tidy our act up before we can come to God. But in another sense, God does require us to change. One of the conditions of God's acceptance is that we recognise that we have broken his laws, that we recognise that we are not good enough, and that we recognise that forgiveness is a gift to be humbly received rather than just arrogantly assumed. In some of his last words on earth, Jesus said to his disciples who were struggling to get to grips with what had happened, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. The Christian life begins with confession and repentance and it continues with confession and repentance because we surrender the belief that we are good enough. We are only acceptable to God because of what Christ has done. Pete Gregg offers this helpful quote from Frederick Buchner, who writes, To confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. There's so much more we could say about this, isn't there? We haven't even thought about the phrase, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, surrendering our grudges, so to speak. But there's one last belief I would like us to think about surrendering. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. We surrender our belief that we are strong enough. Pastor and teacher John Piper says, Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. And this is a war we cannot win on our own. I wonder if you remember this advert. You've given these willing test subjects a Haribo star mix sweet, with the promise that if they can resist it, they can have another one. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Yes, the evidence is clear. The sweets are just too good to resist. But it's not just sweets though, is it? We cannot by willpower win the internal war against our desires. In addition to our internal desires, there are external tests to our faith, health, 
life circumstances, relational challenges, financial pressures. And on top of all of those things, there is an enemy who, according to Peter, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Internal desires, external pressures and an enemy of our souls. We are not strong enough to win in our own strength this war on three fronts. So as followers of Jesus, we admit in prayer that we don't have the resources to stay on track without God's help. We surrender our belief that we are strong enough. So as we come to the end of this mini-series on prayer and having paused and rejoiced and asked, we yield. And we do so with gladness and confidence because we believe in a Heavenly Father who is good. And so we learn to surrender our belief that we know enough. We learn to surrender our belief that we don't have enough. We learn to surrender our belief that we are good enough. And we learn to surrender our belief that we are strong enough. Lord, help us yield as we learn to pray. Amen. I've got one last thing to share with you, and that's a little parable that I wrote and uh, with the help of some Playmobil have illustrated so do stay for that if you'd like to see my creative work at its very best. Um, as always, we do encourage you to comment on the blog. It's a wonderful way to engage with us and to engage with others. And as always, refreshments are served at the end of this online service, but you'll have to go and get them yourself. The Lord bless you. Once upon a time, there was a family who needed something from the king of the land. They had heard a rumour that there were all sorts of tricks to get a hearing and so they sat down and discussed what to do. The son put himself forwards. He was a bright lad and had been top of his class in every subject he had ever studied. He said to his family, let me go. I don't know how but I'll find a way. So he went to the king's residence and knocked on the door. The king's servant asked, what do you want? The son explained how they were distantly related to the royal family, that he knew how to sing and quote from any book the king would care to hear from and perform extraordinary mathematics in his head. The king's servant, however, wasn't impressed and sent him away. The mother put herself forward next. Now she said to herself, what can I take to the king? I know a watering can for his garden and some of my best stew because it's hungry work being a king and a kite because even kings need fun sometimes and of course a big cake that he can share with his queen and courtiers oh and flowers for the queen that always goes down well so she went to the king's residence and knocked on the door and the king's servant listened carefully as she described everything she had brought the king's servant, however, wasn't impressed and sent her away. 
Next, it was the turn of the daughter. She thought she could get access if she looked smart. So she tried some things on. Casual? Definitely not. Dye her hair? A bit too bright. Yellow dress? A bit wishy-washy. Red dress? Getting warmer. With cloak? Yes, result. So she went to the king's residence and knocked on the door. And the king's servant listened carefully as she asked in the politest terms if she could see the king. The king's servant, however, wasn't impressed with her good manners or how she looked and sent her away. Finally, it was the father's turn. By this point, he was getting frustrated with the other members of his family. If you need a job doing, you have to do it yourself, he muttered to himself. What was that? asked the mother. Uh, nothing, dear, he replied, but he set off for the king's residence. The father was big and strong and he intended to force his way in. He arrived and thumped his meaty hand on the door. The door opened and a huge knight opened it. The father's knees turned to jelly and he slunk away. The family gathered outside the gates of the king's residence, dejected. While they were moaning about their bad luck and the king's impossible demands, the king's servant arrived with a message. He said, Let go of the idea that you know enough. Let go of the idea that you need more things. Let go of the idea that you are good enough or strong enough. The king has a message for you. Just acknowledge that I am the king and that you are my servants and that will be enough.